Welcome to Success in Medicine. I'm Dr. Rajani Kata, and I'm here with my colleague, Dr. Ryan Downey. And this is part two of a two-part series that we were going to present about effective learning techniques. And in part one of this, we talked to Dr. Downey about some of his really impressive case studies of students that he had worked with who had been able to significantly increase their step two exam scores, which as we know is important in the residency match process. And on this part two of this little mini series, I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into the actual techniques used by Dr. Downey and his students to help really maximize learning and to help optimize that step two exam score. So Dr. Downey, in part one of this series, we had talked about one of your students who had been able to significantly increase his step two score. Can you just give us a brief recap of your student and his journey to that step two score? So David came to us after finishing medical school. Um, his self-assessments were plateauing at about 208 um, on his CCSSA, and he was struggling to understand what he should be doing differently. And so some of the things that we're going to talk about today are the tools and techniques that we used to help him accelerate his learning, make it more effective and efficient, and ultimately got him a score of 260. I mean, that's pretty amazing that he was able to go from a 208 to a 260. Now, you knew going in that he was just a brilliant student and incredibly smart, but it was just a matter of being able to show that on this test. Um, but then, you know, as you talk about techniques that are both effective and efficient so that you can make the best use of your time, I mean, that's really, you know, that's really the, the whole goal of your study process. So... Um, I, you know, I have several questions to ask, but um, how did David do it? Right. So we met with David. We had a, our, our consultations that we have where we went through the results of his diagnostic intake assessment. Those, uh, res his responses showed us that he was not really using these active learning strategies. He had gotten by because he was so smart. Um, he had gotten by on a very common strategy, which is load up your buffers for the big exam and then do your best on the exam. And then you don't have to worry too much about remembering once the exam is over, this sort of cramming uh, technique. A lot of very intelligent people use it and it works for many exams. With the step two CK and to some extent, the, the complex level two, you there's two things. There's just a lot of information that you have to master in order to do well on the, these exams. But it's not just about regurgitating facts. You have to be able to apply your knowledge. So if you're relying too much on mnemonic devices, which is something that someone like David uh, would, would be doing, just to remember lists of facts, you're not really internalizing or understanding more deeply. And so that's when we brought in some of these active learning strategies uh, to help him out. Okay. I mean, what you're saying, I, I definitely hear that because I'm thinking about me in college and um, I did pull a number of all-nighters um, and then 
you know, after that chemistry exam was over, it was all, I mean, it was all gone. So you're absolutely right. The step two exam, so much material and it's such, um, such complex clinical reasoning skills that are involved. So let's talk a little bit more about those active learning strategies. I know there are a number of techniques that you teach your students. And I know as a test performance coach that your entire goal is focused on really tailoring your strategies to a student's um, areas where they could use assistance. So, you know, that's really the whole point of having a coach here. Um, But what would you say just in a general sense would be, let's say your top three strategies that you would recommend? So you're absolutely right that some strategies will work for some students. Not everyone is a good match for the different techniques that we, um, that we lay out. Um, so that's always an important part of our uh, coaching is finding the, the techniques and the tools that will help uh, each individual client. Now, everything that we're about to talk about is based on the, the literature. So we're not making this stuff up. We're drawing from some publications um, anyone who's interested, we're particularly going to be uh, talking about some of the techniques in uh, Weinberg, oh, excuse me, Weinstein 2018 and Dunlosky 2013. Um, these are focused more on the educator's approach. So building an environment for learning of students, but they can be repurposed into these techniques that we're about to talk about. And this is um, this is the list that we can talk about today. Okay. Uh, the first one is retrieval practice, um, also known as self-assessment, or we like to call it the test yourself. One of the best ways that you can know whether you know something or not is to test yourself. And there are many different ways that you can do it. Um, another technique is what we call talk it out but the official term is elaboration. Um, In some cases, it's also called elaborative interrogation. That's a very uh, intimidating sounding technique, Um, (laughs) but we call it talk it out. And the the third one that we'll talk about is dual coding, which is another way of saying two channels, two or more channels of information. Um, So that's what we'll talk about today. Okay, so multiple different active learning strategies. Not everyone works for every student, but in a general sense, top three strategies that we're gonna focus on today are, I guess the three T techniques for effective learning. Um, And if you wanna repeat that for us again, those three T's for our students to remember. Sure, the three three T's are test yourself, talk it out, and two channels or two or more channels. Okay. So let's start with that first. What um, I guess academics term retrieval practice and what people like us call uh, test yourself. Can you tell me a little bit more about how a student can really utilize that technique, can put it into practice? Right. So testing yourself is the best way to know whether or not you know something. There are many apps available. The old fashioned way of doing it is flashcards, Um, but there are many tools that you can use to re-encounter, re-challenge yourself uh, and reactivate the memory in your mind, the representation of what it is that you're trying to learn. Uh, 
And so you can use Anki, you can use Quizlet, um, you can even use, like I said, old fashioned flashcards. There are techniques that you can use to, to interleave them and space them out. But ultimately, you want to force yourself to encounter the same material from different angles, ideally, so that you can really put that new knowledge, that new information into a context. Okay. It's interesting that we talk about this now because when I was in medical school, we did not have Enki. Um, I mean, we barely had email, but um, when um, at that time, I remember my key strategy was reading everything three times. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a big highlighter. Um, and as I progressed into medical school, I definitely got better about working with students to test each other. Um, but I think that really speaks to a little bit about what you're talking about was that I was rereading it and I thought I knew it, but I wasn't necessarily testing myself at the beginning. Um, so that's something I think that you've talked about before, about how recognition is very different than retrieval. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's very easy to get into a pattern when you're going to be answering a multiple choice exam to think about recognition. It's a, it's a very different kind of memory. Psychologists make a distinction between retrieval or recall memory and recognition. And in one case, you're not quite as familiar or you haven't fully internalized um, the information that you are hoping to learn. Okay. So testing yourself, very, uh, very important part of effective learning. Um, let's go to the next strategy, um, talk it out. Uh, can you tell me more about that? Sure. The, the idea is that you want to elaborate your internal representation of some topic area, some subject, uh, subject matter. And so instead of just reading and trying to build that internal representation, you're kind of challenging yourself. You're wondering, okay, how does this piece of information fit into what I already know? Uh, so let's say we're talking about amino acids or we're talking about cranial nerves. As you are learning this information, instead of focusing only on the information that's written in the text, elaboration means finding ways to map that into what else you know about proteins, protein synthesis, or what else you know about how nerves and neurons work in the, in the brain. And so elaboration can be done to yourself silently. When you finish a section of text, just talk to yourself and go back through what you have just read and see how it fits into your representations. Um, or ideally, it would be with a partner or a group. And in a way, it's another form of testing yourself. You are trying to explain something to your co colleagues, your collaborators, and you're trying to uh, identify the places where your knowledge is not as strong as it should be. Um, that all helps fit this new information into the framework or the scaffolding that you already have. Okay. Uh, and I, I think about that too, when we had group project or group study sessions and how each of us would be assigned a different area and the area that you always learned the most, um, the, the deepest was the one where you had to really struggle to be able to explain it to your 
uh, to your group members. So that goes along um, in my mind with exactly what you're saying um, from personal experience. I think that's a really good point, the, the, that struggle. When you are noticing that you have a gap, when you're noticing that there is something that you don't fully understand, that's when you can really fill in like, like grout around tile or uh, like cement around bricks. That's when you really put this new information, you, you identify where you have the gaps or the cracks, and then you can go back in and that really builds a solid representation. One extension of elaboration, if you're doing it with a partner, is the Feynman method. Some people uh, refer to it as this, uh, this method named after the physicist Richard Feynman, who was famous for using this technique. Um, it's very simple, very straightforward. You try to explain it, what you're learning, uh, as if you were talking to a child. And if you find that you are struggling to explain certain parts of the, of the representation, then that's where you want to zero in on. And you want to be able to clearly explain every step in the, in, in the uh, organization of what you're trying to learn uh, so that you can fully grasp it yourself. And only then do you really understand it. You know, it's really interesting you say that because I'm thinking in my own work about, um, I talk a lot about the link between diet and dermatology. And I really thought I understood advanced glycation end products and the process of glycation until I tried to present this information to a non-medical uh, audience of lay people. And then I realized um, I really needed to be able to explain it on a much more basic level. And I could understand, you know, what is, you know, what is glycation, but then to be able to uh, explain it on a very simple level exactly what you said, it opened up some gaps in my knowledge. I actually had to go back to the literature to find out, okay, what proteins are involved and um, how can I create a mental representation of this that works for somebody who, um, you know, hasn't taken organic chemistry before. That's really interesting. I've never heard it um, discussed as the Feynman method. Uh, very interesting. Another way to do this is if you don't have a partner, you could record yourself trying to explain what you just read or what the, the, the content that you're trying to master. And as you record yourself, you'll notice the places where you start stammering, you start pausing and you realize, oh, I don't really fully understand how this leads to that, um, how this step in the pathway uh, logically leads to the next step. And so watching your recordings or just the exercise of forcing yourself to do it is uncomfortable and a little bit effortful, but that's where learning takes place. Wow. And I wanna go a little bit deeper into the third technique also, because this is one that I'm not as familiar with, where you talk about two channels. Can you, uh, can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. So, so dual coding ideally is used in the teaching environment, but as a student, you can take advantage of the same cognitive mechanisms uh, as you are preparing your own studying plan and your own um, studying techniques. So the idea is the brain is better at learning things that come through multiple modalities, multiple sensory modalities, multiple channels. And when you are trying to learn purely by reading text, 
that is one very important channel, but a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you can bring in some visual support that parallels what you are reading, um, it really accelerates your learning and can even help you make a more concrete representation. Um, and that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about building your internal representation of knowledge. So you can do that through text plus pictures. Okay. One very common way is a, um, a video where you're watching maybe an animation of how proteins are interacting, how DNA synthesis is taking place. Those animations are immensely powerful at helping you remember um, the, the steps in the process. But you also need to have the words. So either they're, they could be text, um, they could be audio. Um, and so that's what we talk about when we're talking about two channels or uh, dual coding. Okay, that's interesting because I had a student who talked about how much she relied on videos. And I remember thinking, wow, I don't, um, I'm not really drawn to videos hardly at all. I'm really drawn to books um, and text. But this is interesting what you say, because at the same time, I do realize that powerful images can just pull everything together for me um, very well. Um, so probably the lesson for me is that it is really helpful to seek out those additional resources, even though I'm very comfortable and I'm very used to text-based resources that pulling in information from another modality, um, it's not just a matter of my comfort, um, it is also a matter of effectively strengthening that, um, that learning, that memory. That's right, and it, it has to be um, supportive. So if you're listening to um, a video on YouTube about protein synthesis and you're multitasking, and sending IMs or doing something unrelated, then that's not gonna work out for you. That's, that's a distraction that will dramatically lower the impact. But if you're watching a video and you're paying attention closely to what's going on on the screen, along with what's coming in your ears, and maybe even if you have your own outline, uh, written outline that you are following along by text, that is a, a really powerful way of getting that um, that concrete representation of the material that you're trying to study. Okay. So from what, um, from your experience working with students, coaching students, what would you say is probably the most counterintuitive study technique that you recommend? The one that keeps coming back is this idea that um, time in your seat equals learning. Mm -hmm. And many students will come to us and say, I have read it three times, I've read it five times, I've done the highlighting, I've put little uh, tabs in my, in my book, um, mm -hmm. but I'm still not getting it. And the, the, the counterintuitive thing about learning, because it's been fairly easy for people who have gone to, who are in medical school or uh, have, have finished medical school, it, the going has been easy so far, but at a certain point, it becomes more challenging and it actually requires effort. You have to take the effort to put the effort into the material as you're studying. So a lot of students don't expect, they expect it to be kind of smooth as they're 
first learning and then reviewing, the problem is then you run the risk of this overlearning uh, bias where you've seen this material before, you think you know it, but you're just recognizing it. You're not fully understanding the, the concepts behind um, what you're studying. And so that's why the most counterintuitive thing uh, that, that I feel students bump into is it's going to take some effort. There was a, a researcher named Bjork in the 90s who came up with this term, desirable difficulty. The idea is that to be fully engaged and to have all of your attentional mechanisms firing on uh, all cylinders and to have the learning process uh, going strong, you have to be challenged just a little bit. And if we think about it intuitively, that's absolutely true. If you're, if you're not struggling a little bit, then you're not learning. You're just deploying what you already know. And so the challenge is every time you encounter material, whether it's your textbook, whether it's your notes, and it's the second time, third time, you should be doing some sort of operation. You should be doing some something to that information, manipulating it in some way. And there are other techniques that we that we can talk about uh, maybe in another uh, another uh, webinar um, about um, mind mapping or other ways of uh, structuring your knowledge as you re-encounter the same material during studying. Okay. I think I would like to learn more about those other techniques. And I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking about um, the way I started studying early in medical school and what you said by the third time, I was feeling really good. It was, um, it was not as hard. And, uh, and that is not necessarily a good thing. In fact, it can be uh, a downright bad thing if it's that easy when you're studying. That, that's absolutely right. And it is a challenge and it's uh, counterintuitive, um, but it's the, the reality of learning science. The more, uh, the more ways that you encounter something, the more you expend cognitive effort, um, the, the more deeply and the more um, pervasively you learn the material. Okay. It's almost like it's almost like lifting weights. I mean, if, if it's too easy, you really need to be going to the next level in order to continue building your muscle strength. It's exactly like lifting weights in that way. Absolutely. Mm, darn. <laughs> <laughs> right. You want it to be easy at some point. Um, but I guess for exams, um, it should be challenging um, to get to where you, where you need to go. So Dr. Downey, um, what, let's just do a recap for our students. So what are um, just a brief recap of these three techniques and what you recommend? Sure. So the first technique we talked about is test yourself or self-assessment uh, retrieval practice. The second is talk it out, which is our way of uh, representing the idea of elaboration or in, uh, basically talking with a partner to identify your own gaps in your knowledge. And the third is two channels. Um, always try to engage more than one channel or information stream uh, as you're learning the material. Okay. And Dr. Downey, if our students wanted to, if our listeners wanted to learn more about your work as a test performance coach, and 
I know you have a blog. Can you direct us to your um, to your website, to your resources? Absolutely. It's uh, www.md2bdiagnostic.com. That's our website. Um, forward slash blog is how you get to our blog. Uh, we have a series of blogs, including one on active learning strategies um, that, uh, that should be of interest to most viewers. Okay, well, wonderful. Well, Dr. Downey, thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak. And, um, and we really appreciate the work that you're doing helping students with these effective learning techniques. Thank you very much.